Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message by Executive Pastor Chris Valdez. Good morning. I was telling Connie a second ago, I said the, the view's pretty good from the top of the hill, but now it's all, <laughs> all downhill from now. And that from what I've heard, the ride down's a lot faster than the ride up. <laughs> and more pleasant. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> Well, we're back in 2 Timothy again this morning, chapter 3. If you have your Bible with you this morning, you can go ahead and turn there. As we've said in the, as we've looked at chapter 1 and chapter 2, this was the Apostle Paul's final letter. This, uh, this imprisonment that he finds himself in is going to end in his death. He's not going to see uh, physical freedom again. Uh, but even in that place, from that prison cell, he was able to pin this letter of encouragement uh, to Timothy, this, and also a letter of instruction and we're going to look at chapter 3 this morning, and we're, we're actually, it's a short chapter, it's 17 verses, but we could literally spend months um, digging into what is in this one uh, chapter, in these 17 verses. But we're going to look at three verses uh, in particular, but we are going to read the whole of the chapter just because I felt that it was important uh, to get that context. And, you know, we mentioned last week that, that the Word of God is powerful. And it can transform us. And the Holy Spirit works in the reading of Scripture. And just in the reading of Scripture and allowing the Holy Spirit to do that miraculous work, He changes us. And He can speak to you uh, from this whole chapter, even, even the parts we're not going to focus on. So let's, let's quickly read through uh, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 17. It starts out with, But understand this. That in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of of God, having the appearance or the form or the semblance of godliness, but denying or rejecting its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that with those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And just quickly, I want to point out that the very end of that, and actually this whole passage, is applicable to all of us, to men and women. That verse, that word that's translated as man there actually refers, it's the word for human being. It's man, woman, child, whoever. That the word of God is, uh, is able to make all of us complete. Equip all of us for every good work. We're going to go backwards um, and, and get to verse 5 in a minute, but first I want to highlight what was in verse 7 and 8. Paul's saying that there's going to be people who oppose the truth, and he compares them to uh, two men named Janus and Jambres. And I don't know if you remember these people or know who these people are. Honestly, when I was first reading this and getting ready for the message, I couldn't recall myself. And I was like, were these Israelites? You know, were these one of the people who sinned or, you know, what, who are these guys? And so, so I looked it up, studied it, and, and it says that they are always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Well, these two guys are the two men who opposed Moses in Egypt. They were the two magicians that were um, basically counterfeiting the work of God and the miracles of God, and they had an appearance of power. They were trying to portray the truth, but it actually says that they opposed the truth. They opposed God's power, and they had an appearance of power. They had appearance of God's presence, but it was a counterfeit. And he's saying in the last days there's going to be more and more people like this who have a semblance of godliness, but they deny God's power. And Paul is warning Timothy and the rest of the church throughout all the ages not to accept a counterfeit for the truth. That knowledge alone is not sufficient. He said they keep on learning and they keep on learning, but they never grasp the truth. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to us. In John 16:13, God promises that the Holy Spirit will reveal all truth to us. That's one of the miracles of the Holy Spirit. So we can trust him that he will reveal the truth to us. And our primary focus is going to be on verse five, but it ties with those verses seven and eight. Paul starts in verses one through four, describing how the last days will be times of difficulty and great sinfulness. And we can look around and say, yeah, that looks about right. We feel like we're surrounded uh, in a world full of sin and we see that. And at the end of that, he's saying not only all of that, but in addition to that, he says in verse 5, people will have the appearance, the form, the semblance of godliness, but deny or reject God's power. Avoid such people. And we talked about this power a few weeks ago when we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And it's, we read that God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That is the spirit that God gives us is power. And this verse again today that we find it's saying they have an appearance of godliness, but they deny God's power. And it's that same word that's used. And the word is dynamis. And we're going to look... We looked at that definition when we were in chapter 1, but we're going to look at it again this morning. And depending on the context where it's used in the Bible, it's translated as power, as mighty work, strength, and miracle. And some of the definitions are the power for performing miracles, strength, mighty work, ability, inherent power, the power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. 
But the key here is this dynamis is God's power. It has nothing to do with us or our ability. This is only by God. When it's His power, His strength, His power to perform miraculous works, and anything else is an imposter, is a counterfeit, is a semblance of godliness, but it denies its power if it doesn't actually do what it was sent out to do. God says His Word will not come back empty or void. Whatever He speaks will be done. And if we have a Gospel that speaks but comes back empty, then we're only presenting a symbol or a counterfeit. And we're denying God's power and that ability to actually do what His Word says it will do. The, this word dynamis is used 120 times in the New Testament. I actually looked up all 120. Uh, and, and it sounds impressive, but really it's not you. Uh, if you use a, an application called the Blue Letter Bible, you can look up a scripture and then click on a word. And one of the functions is that it'll show you everywhere in the Bible that word is used. You can, it'll just give you all the scriptures. And if anybody is interested in that, let me know. I'd be happy to show you how to use it. It's very valuable. Uh, but as I was as I was reading all these scriptures and taking notes and I wanted to pull examples of it to share other examples of God's power with you, one thing stood out to me. And it was that example after example that I'd pulled out were from chapter one of books in the New Testament. And I think I probably had five or six that were all from chapter one of different books in the New Testament. And so then I was thinking, well, how many books in the New Testament start out talking about God's power? And it turns out that 14 of 27 books in chapter 1 use this word, dynamis, about the power, the miracle working power, the inherent power of God to accomplish what he has said he's going to do. Over half of the New Testament books start out with this word. And I think that's significant. I think it's important. I think there's something to God's power. There's something to uh, what Paul's telling Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that there's going to people that claim to have God's power, but they're a counterfeit of godliness. They're denying God's power. And so I want us to look into this word more and find out why is God's power so important? Why is it so significant? Why does Paul talk about it in chapter 1 about God's Spirit giving us His power and His love and His sound mind? And why does he bring it up again now uh, talking about this? And why is it used 120 times in the New Testament? And why does over half the books in the Bible in the New Testament start out with this power? And I want to remind you that it's God's power. It's not our ability. It's not our strength. It's nothing of ourselves. This is the power, the miracle working power that is inherent to him and him alone. And Paul is telling Timothy, we have to avoid people who are attempting to counterfeit the truth and that they don't have the power of God. They have a semblance. They have an appearance, but they're denying uh, the power of God. They say they're godly, but they have no power. We're going to look at two passages. One is Paul talking about himself, and one he's referencing how other people talk about him. Have you ever heard about how other people talk about you? Anybody ever experienced that? That's what Paul's referencing here. He's saying, this is what people say about me. 1 Corinthians 2.4, this is him about himself. 
1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 5, he says, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We're going to read a lot of scriptures this morning, and every single one where it says power or miracle, it's this word dynamis. It's this power of God. And Paul's saying, I didn't come talking in great words. It wasn't even man's wisdom, but it was in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. God's power. So that no one could say that they came to faith in me or in my words or by anything else, but they experienced the power of God, the undeniable power of God. And then in 2 Corinthians 10.10, he says, here's what other people say about me. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak. Another word for that, unimpressive. And his speech is of no account. And that word can even be translated as contemptible. Paul wasn't impressive. He wasn't eloquent in person. His bodily presence wasn't, uh, didn't sway you, didn't blow you away. It actually did the opposite. These people are saying, yeah, he writes a mean letter. But when he shows up in person... He really doesn't come across as much. But then he says, it's not in the wisdom of my words or the way that I look. I come in the power of the Holy Spirit and of God. He says, while what you say may be true, you can't deny the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and God's power. His dynamis, what only God could do. You can't account for what happened by me and my words and my presence, but you can't deny the power of God. Acts 19.11 gives us a reference about Paul and his ministry. It says, and God, notice it was God doing this, not Paul, but God was doing extraordinary miracles. And that word is dynamis extraordinary works of power, extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. So his sermon may not have been all that hot, but the power of God showed up. And lives were transformed. People were healed. Demons were cast out by His shadow and by handkerchiefs that had merely touched Him because the power of God said what He's saying is true. And I'm going, God's saying, I'm going to put my stamp on that. I'm going to show that that's true. It's not going to be by words of wisdom. It's not going to be because of His impressive personal performance. It's going to be because... It's true, and I'm going to show you by works of power. You're really going to be transformed. Your life is really going to be changed. You're really going to go from death to life. People are really going to be healed. The power of God is real. And you can't deny His power. Every single one of these scriptures, like I said, we're going to read some more here. Um, But every single one of these, it's that same word, dynamis. And on your way out, I printed uh, copies of a lot of the scriptures that were going and some that I had to cut out because it was just too too many. I think I had 
I don't know, 15, 20% of those 120 <laughs> verses originally. So I had to keep pulling out. But a lot of them are, are out there. And then some we even, I even had to cut context around it. But if you read the rest of the context around these scriptures, it just makes it more powerful. It's more impressive of what God is telling us and what he's promising us and what he's saying is available in his power. So I'd recommend you picking up one of those up on the way out and studying these more and reading the verses before and after all of these scriptures. First Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. It's not about the words. It's not about how we define what we read. It's about the power of God manifesting his presence in his word. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The Bible says it's the Holy Spirit who convicts the world of sin and judgment and righteousness. That's the power of God. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing that we say can do that. It's the work of God. It's His miracle working power in us that changes us, that transforms us, and that brings us to life. Hebrews 1.3 says, He, talking about Jesus Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe, the entire universe, by the word of His power. The whole universe is held together by the dynamis of God. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. He's saying you either get it or you don't. If you don't experience the power of God, this is foolishness. It means nothing. It is words. It is nothing but words. But if you experience the power of God, it's how we're saved. John 8, verse 31, Jesus is speaking. It says he's talking to Jews who had believed him. And he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you will become how that you say we will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus says, if I set you free, you'll really be free. If you really experience the power of God, it's going to make a difference in your life. Hebrews 10:15 says, and the Holy Spirit bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Notice that he does all the work. He's doing everything. It's God who puts his laws in our heart. He's going to put his word in our mind. He's going to transform us by his power. Where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, 
since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there are no long, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. If we have the appearance of godliness but don't have a changed, transformed life, we're denying God's power. We're saying that the Spirit of God is not enough to save us or to transform us. Last week I used the example of how a gang in the United States makes a better example for the New Testament church than our modern day church does. And I talked about, you know, two gang members might run into each other on the street and one says to the other, hey, did you go to gang this week? And the other one says, no, I wasn't able to make it to gang. My, my kid had a basketball game, but I'm going to try to go to gang next week. And it's just a, it's a ludicrous example. And one thing I, I pointed out in the first service, I want to point it out in the next service. The point of this example was not to say you need to be at church every Sunday and never miss a Sunday and don't miss a a service because you had your kids got a basketball game. So your kids got a basketball game. Great. We'll see you next Sunday. The point of it is if a gang member goes to a basketball game, they're representing the gang. They don't go anywhere that they're not right. That's who they are. It's their life. It's everything about them. If you go to a basketball game instead of being here on Sunday, you should be representing Jesus Christ when you're there. He's in you. He's in you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in the morning, in the afternoon, in the daytime. He transformed you. You're new. It should impact everything. And if the power of God has changed us and transformed us, then we're taking His power to those places. And we're representing Him everywhere that we go. And a witness to everyone that we encounter. And it's to His power. In Hebrews 2.6, we've all read this scripture, but I think it takes on a different, or I looked at it with a different outlook. It says in verse 3, I'm sorry, it says 2, 6 up there, and then we look at 3 and 4. It's actually verse 3 and 4. The header's wrong. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, the dynamis, the power, the miracle-working power of God, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. He says, God bore witness to the truth with His power. But He says, how shall we neglect such a great salvation. But I think at least in the church of the United States, we've preached a not so great salvation. It's really not that great. It appears to be. We talk about it. We say what 
God could do, but He really probably won't. Your life really won't be changed. There's grace to forgive your sins, but there's really no power to change your life. You're still going to struggle with sin the rest of your life. Don't expect to be overcomers. Don't expect to see God do anything of power. Don't expect to have a different attitude. Don't expect to have a different heart. Don't expect to be a better husband. Don't expect to be a better father or mother. Because there's really not a lot of power. You'll get a ticket and Jesus Christ will save you. And we talked about this last week in reference to the gangs that we believe in a Savior who doesn't save and a Lord who that we're not going to serve or submit to. He's either Lord or He's not. And He either saves us or He doesn't. And we just read that This is a great salvation. And if we receive that great salvation, he says, if you come to the knowledge of truth, the real truth, if you really experience the power of God, the dynamis of God, the miracle working power of God, the life changing work of God that gives you the power to walk in newness of life, that gives you the power To walk by the Spirit and not in the flesh. That is the power to heal diseases. That is the power to cast out demons. If you've received and seen that power and received that great salvation and then walk away, how could there be anything else to redeem you from your sins again? If you experience that truth, But I believe we've preached the gospel of grace extremely well in the United States. We get it. It's by grace that you're saved. Absolutely. That no one can boast. Absolutely. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. Absolutely. But when we get saved, it's a great salvation. And the gospel is true. And God, our God, is a God of power, of dynamis. The Holy Spirit is active. He can transform you. If Jesus sets you free, you're really going to be free. It's true. And God says, I will be a witness of it by my power. But 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 said, Paul says, be aware because people are going to talk about godliness, but they're going to deny His power. Jesus saves by grace. Yes, He does. But then we say, but don't expect much after that. It's by His power. And God says, my power will sustain you. It will resurrect you from the dead into a new life. 
And it's powerful enough to change you, to transform you, to save you, and to keep you afterward. And we're going to look at some more scriptures real quick here. And just remember, every single one of these is talking about the power, the dynamis of God. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. To me, this gave me a whole new outlook on this verse. The more that God manifests his power in us and through us, the more that we should be humbled. The more that we should give all thanks and glory to God because he's saying in my weakness, the weaker that I am, that's all the more power it's going to take of God to keep me in Him. To keep me walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh. The Bible says Jesus conquered death and sin. There is no more power in death. There's no more power in sin. But there's power in Jesus Christ. And we can live and walk in the power. And he says, the more that I walk in the power of God, the more that I know how much he takes account for my weaknesses. Because it's not possible. I can't do it. This is a miraculous work of God's power. But if God's power is working in us, then it's working. It's actually working. He says we can walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. We can live this life. I really did bring you from death to life. It's true. The Gospel's true. And it's a good Gospel. And it's a great salvation. And Jesus said, if I set you free, you're really free. And if you're not, then you're believing an appearance. You're looking at a semblance. You've heard the words, but you've never come to a knowledge of the truth and you've never experienced God's power. But His power will make Himself manifest in our weakness and will boast all the more in the power of Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3.7 says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of His power. He's saying the only reason I'm an apostle, the only reason I can minister, the only reason I can do this is by the gift of God's grace. And it seems like that's where we normally stop. But he says it was given to me by the working of God's power. It's not just a covering, it's a transformation. It's totally new. Ephesians 3.16 says that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. The Holy Spirit will come into our inner being and strengthen us with His power. The power to do what He said and called us to do. Again, it goes back. It's not by works so that nobody can boast. But it's by God's power. And it's real. 
It's a real salvation. It's a real freedom. It's a real new life. God really will heal. He really will transform. He really will set free by His power. And when we experience that power, nobody's going to... Think about experiencing a miracle of God that you know was God and only God. You're not going to remember who was speaking at the time that it happened or who laid hands on him and prayed. You're just going to remember that God, by His power, healed that person. You'll know them before they were set free from addiction, from sin, and their whole life was transformed. And you'll remember the only way that person was transformed was by the power of God. There's no earthly way. It's not by the wisdom of man. It's by the power of God. Ephesians, I'm sorry, I wrote out 1 Peter 1.5. We just got two more scriptures and we'll close. It says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God guards us with His power. We're guarded by His power. That should make us feel pretty safe. That demon that knew Paul and that knew Jesus but didn't know those others, he knows the power of God. He knows the power of the Holy Spirit. And God says, if my power, if the Holy Spirit is guarding you, it's enough. My power is enough. And Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. All things that pertain to life and godliness has been granted to you by God's power. Everything that you need has been granted to you by His power. The gospel hasn't changed. It's the same as it's always been. Jesus still saves and he gives us salvation. But what we've said and what we've believed is we've said we have faith. But we have faith in a Jesus who doesn't save. And we have faith in a Lord that we're not required to serve or obey. We're saved by faith, but we're not, by, we're not saved by faith in that Lord or that Savior. We're called to have faith in a Jesus Christ who saves. We're called to have faith in a Jesus Christ who sets us free from sin. We're called to have faith in a Jesus Christ who takes us from death and brings us into life. We're called to have faith in a God who works in power. We're called to have faith in a God that sets us free. Now. Today. Yesterday, tomorrow, and forever, by His power, by His miracle-working power, and it's by faith. 
It's not by works. We can't do anything to deserve it. But it's not a not so great salvation. It's a great salvation. And that's what we've been called to have faith in. That's the gospel that's in this Bible. And he says, I'll guard you. I'll sustain you. I'll fill you. I'll dwell in you. You can walk in my spirit and not in the flesh. I'm enough. It says Abraham believed by faith, but he believed in the power of God. God had given him a word. He said, you're a hundred years old or 90. He was beyond childbearing years and so was his wife. And he said, you will have a child. And it says he believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He believed the word of God and he believed the power of God. And God said, that's faith. And I'm going to come through and I'm actually going to do it. He really did it. Isaac really was born. He really was the father of many nations. God proved himself through his people Israel over and over and over again. And he says, I've made a lot of promises in this book and I intend on keeping every single one of them. He's a good God. He's a good Savior. But he's a mighty savior. He's a powerful savior. And he works in dynamis, in power to set you free, to bring healing. And again, it doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to be what we would call nice and easy and happy. Paul wrote this. This message is written from a prison that he's going to die from, he's going to be put to death. And he says, everyone who believes in this gospel will be persecuted. When we live this truth, we're going to be persecuted. People don't want to hear that they have to give everything up. Because that's what it takes. That's what this true gospel requires, is everything. I'm not the Lord of my life anymore. I have to die to myself. It's Christ who lives within me and only Him. And He'll do it by His power. But we really have to give everything. We really have to give up and say, I put my life, my hope, my trust, everything in You. And when I read something in Your Word or when You speak to me through Your Holy Spirit, I'm actually going to listen. I'm actually going to let it transform me. And sanctify me. And bring me closer and closer and closer to you. And I'll turn away from sin. And I'll turn to you. And I'll walk in your spirit and not in my flesh. But that's the real gospel. That's the gospel that we're called to preach. And live. Whether you're here at a basketball game. Or home. Or work. Or wherever. Christ is in you, if He's your Savior, if He's your Lord, if you've experienced His power, His life-changing power. Will you bow your heads with me as we close? Dearly Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for a great salvation. It's the only one You gave. There is no 
other. There's no less than. Lord, your word says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Our faith is in a great salvation. Father, as Nehemiah prayed and repented for himself and for his people, I repent this morning. I repent for denying your power in so many ways. And trying to make excuses why my life or why others' lives don't look like they should. I was denying your power, Lord, and I repent. Because your power is enough. Your love is enough. Your sound mind is enough. Your Holy Spirit is enough. Jesus Christ's death is enough. Your dynamis is enough to keep us, to guard us, to hold us. And I declare that this morning, Father. Father, I pray that through the Holy Spirit, Your Word says the Holy Spirit will declare Your truth. That it will convict the world of righteousness and judgment and sin. Father, I pray that Your Holy Spirit will do exactly what You said He would. And that He's doing it right now. That our hearts are convicted by You and by Your Word. And that our lives will be transformed this morning by Your power. And nothing less. No counterfeit. No appearance. But You and Your power. And that's what I put my faith in, God. My faith is in You. I really believe You can set us free. I really believe You can save us today. I really believe that You will give us the power to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. That's what my faith is in, Lord. Call us to You, Holy Spirit. In Your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.